I don't know about you, but I struggle with contentment. Now, oh, and Sarah, there's a slide that was PowerPointed through. Okay, contentment. So um, can you see that at the back? Michael, can you see that? Okay, now you have glasses. So I struggle to see it here, but I've put my list of things through. Let me tell you what got me thinking about contentment. So I was away in Croatia on our holidays, and two of our friends, Dario and Hervoya, Dario is about my age, Hervoya is his son, they wanted to play soccer with us. So we went down earlier than I would like to go down, but it wasn't very early to the village to play football in the little football enclosure. I am terrible at football. I, 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 it really actually hurts me. I am terrible at football. And I was playing terribly. Ronan's much better than me. I was playing terribly at football, and we were losing. And at halftime, I shot up a prayer. And I said, Lord, please help me play better. For my sake of my relationship with Ronan, help me play better. And then I admitted to God. I said, actually, it's not really for the sake of my relationship with Ronan. It's my pride. Now, I had a strange answer to that prayer. I scored a goal in the second half. Yeah, a known goal. <laughs> yeah. So, so after the game, we, we were playing till 10, you know, as in 10, you know, they beat us 10-something. Uh, Ronan scored all the goals, and I scored one for the opposition. Um, and then we, 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 they wanted to play on, and I went for coffee. And I went for coffee, and I was sitting there, and I started to complain to God. I started to think and list off all the things that I'm unhappy about in my own life. Mostly things about me. Things that I'd like to change about me. Like the fact that I'm not really very good at sports. That really bothered me. And then it was like God um, highlighted to me the stupidity of what I was saying. You know, here I am, after all, on holidays, in a cafe, playing football with my son who's healthy. How many people would have wanted that? I started to think about the majority of the world out there where those are luxuries that so many people don't get to have. And then I started to think about the fact that, you know, there are people who are my brothers and sisters in Christ who, when they meet, have to meet in secret because they're persecuted for their faith. And then I started to think about the fact that I'm a Christian. And that means that I'm forgiven all my guilt. That God has taken away all my guilt and accepted me as a dearly beloved child. That I'm no longer on the way to hell, but on the way to heaven. And that millions upon millions of years will be spent enjoying his people and enjoying him. How can you have that perspective and be upset about something like you're not good at sports? Then I started to think about the fact that every good and perfect gift, according to James, comes from above. You know, we thought about Thanksgiving as one of the ways to have joy. Do we think about all the good gifts that we have? Marie's talk was so relevant. You see, we get discontent when someone has more chocolate than us, but we forget about the good things that God has given us. And, and you know, it's sort of, we, we live in a world of comparison. 
And, and, you know, and so we, we, and what we forget is that God in his wisdom gives us perfectly what is good for us. And he knows and he calls us to trust him. And surely we can trust him. Like, just look at the person of Jesus. Look what he's done for us. Surely we can trust God of this universe who has revealed himself in the person of Jesus. Surely we can trust him to know what is best for us. I started thinking of Philippians chapter 4. And in Philippians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul talks about the secret of contentment. And I, I went home, I spent the day thinking about contentment. And I started to think about the secret of contentment. What on earth is Paul talking about? And I came to the conclusion that the secret of contentment is Jesus. It's who we are in him and what we have in him, irrespective of our circumstances around us. I have three points in this talk with regards contentment. The first thing is that we need to learn to value the ordinary. Our two readings are about that. The second thing is we need to resent or resist envy. And the third thing, and this was the surprise that came to me that day, the third thing that we need to do is that we need to see the beauty in redemption. I like this radio series. It's called um, Lake Wobegon. Um, some of the older people might remember it. It's uh, one of those comedy sort of satirical things or whatever you'd call it. And in Lake Wobegon, it's a fictional place. The guy says, Lake Wobegon, where every child is above average. But you know, not everyone can be above average. But that's what we all aim for. I was saying to Sibren this morning, when I was in primary school, um, maybe this is oversharing. But when I was in primary school, I wasn't very good. I wasn't very bright. I spent a lot of time looking out the window. And when it came to the final report from primary school, my report said, Paul is of average ability and below average standard. And the funny thing is, that might sound harsh, but actually looking back on it, it was true. You know, I couldn't deny it. I was bottom of the class, near the bottom of the class. And, and there was nothing, and there is nothing, remarkable about my brain. Why do we find average such an offensive term? Why are we scared of ordinary? Because God isn't scared of ordinary. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Not many of you were wise by the world's standards. Not many of you were of noble birth by the world's standards. But God chose the things that weren't to shame the things that are. God has a desire, almost a preference, for that which is ordinary. And then you go to the other reading, Proverbs chapter 20, 30, and it says, and he prays, give me neither poverty nor riches. He wants ordinariness. And I was challenged by two things when I looked up that verse one time. And it was someone who was saying, this isn't just about money. This is about everything. How you look, your level of success, your popularity. That ordinary is good. And then the more challenging one is, is he said, would you pray this for your children? Like, who wants to pray, give me ordinary kids? 
You know, we all want our kids to be exceptional. What's wrong with ordinary? Now, it does say, uh, what is it? Uh, God chose not many of you were wise and so on. There are some people that God brings into his fellowship that are exceptional. That's okay. But he loves ordinary. And what I want to say is, ordinary is ordinarily, I think I've written this down, ordinary is ordinarily the most fertile, fertile ground for spiritual growth. The most fertile ground ordinarily is ordinary for spiritual growth. It stops us from pride. It stops us from resentment. Ordinary. Isn't it strange? And I'm not telling you not to encourage your kids to work hard and stuff like that. But isn't it strange, given all the talk about the deceitfulness of wealth, the dangers of success, the love of the world, that so often we push our young people into achieving extraordinary when extraordinary comes with a lot of temptations. Ordinary is ordinarily the most fertile ground for spiritual growth. Don't despise ordinary. Don't always look for extraordinary. Be content with the areas in your life that you're average or even below average. The second thing is to resist envy. Someone said many years ago that envy is sorrow at another's good. You know, you're sad that someone has something that you don't have. I looked up the opposites of envy on Google, and these are some of the words. It said the opposite of envy is generosity, friendliness, calmness, and contentment. And, and the Proverbs talk about this. Proverbs 14 verse 30 says, A tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy rots the bones. In other words, envy can actually make you physically sick. You can become sick with envy. Now, I started thinking, how do you deal with envy? Well, I want to suggest three things. See the harm that it does you. Envy will rot your bones. See what you have in Jesus because Jesus has been good to you. And then there's a third one that I came when I looked up an article. It talked about serving each other as a way to deal with envy. You see, when you serve someone, you're doing the opposite of envy. Envy looks at what another person has and wants to take it. Serving looks at what you have to give to someone else and wants to give it. And so I read this article, and Rechab Gray wrote about her 75-year-old mother who lived in Louisiana, and she wrote this, My grandmother and many other church mothers like her are unusually joyful. She has been given so much in Christ that she has so much to give away. Black matriarchs teach us that genuine contentment and gladness doesn't come from thinking about yourself 
True joy comes from pursuing the joy of others. See the danger of envy. See that it will rot your bones. See what you have in Jesus. He has been kind to you. And seek to find where you can serve each other people, and that will deal with your envy. And then finally, look at the beauty of redemption. You see, this was the thing that caught my attention and surprised me when I was in Croatia thinking about envy and discontentment. Discontentment. The thing that caught my attention was that I'd never thought about redemption being a solution to the problem of being discontent. But it is. You you see, you're, you're discontent because of your weaknesses, because of what you don't have. But think of the God who can use weaknesses. Think of the God who can redeem weaknesses. So let me tell you something about soccer. When I was in theological college in Belfast, there was a guy who uh, organized our indoor soccer. He was called Patton Taylor. He was an Old Testament lecturer. And the thing about Patton Taylor is he was probably the worst football player I have ever seen. He made me look like Messi. (laughs) He scored a goal that afternoon, and he told me it was the first goal he had ever scored. And like, this is indoor soccer where the score is like 105 versus 103. But the thing about it was, he didn't care that he wasn't good at soccer. It didn't matter to him. And the amazing thing about that is it taught us theological students that here is a godly man who doesn't take himself too seriously, who's not finding his identity in the wrong places. I started thinking about that. How could me being bad at football be redeemed? Well, I thought, and Caroline's going to be shocked by this, I thought to myself, maybe I could teach Ronan how to lose well. But the problem is I'm still too competitive. So I need to learn that for myself. But you can redeem your weaknesses. Think of the people who have become Christians because they've seen how someone dealt with their suffering, how they dealt with their weaknesses. And so your weaknesses and the things that can cause you to be discontent, those things can be redeemed for God's glory. Think about marriage. You know, the truth of the matter is that there are many people I know who are discontent in their marriage. Marriage is hard. How do you redeem maybe what you think might have been a mistake? Maybe you wake up and you go, I've made a mistake here. I'm not promising you that God's necessarily going to give you a Hollywood fairy tale romance. But as you continue to love and seek to honor God in difficult situations. Now, if you're in a dangerous, difficult situation, you must get out of there. But God, as you learn to love and be content with an imperfect person, can be glorified. Because it's his glory that you're seeking. As other people watch you in situations that are imperfect, whatever they are, there's always a chance of redemption. I was speaking at a situation, I was in a 
in a conference up in BCM, and someone said, what do you do about the fact that um, some of our sorrows in our own lives are brought on by our own mistakes? And I thought about 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10, which says this, godly sorrow leads to repentance that leaves no room for regret. God doesn't even want you to regret your past. He doesn't want you to regret your mistakes. He doesn't want you even to regret your sins because he has dealt with them and he can bring good out of them. He can redeem them. Think of the Apostle Paul when he says, I am the chief of sinners, the least of the apostles, because I persecuted the church. He's being honest, but I don't think he's living with regret. He's saying, look at the beauty of God's grace. And that's what we do. Even our mistakes, even our sins, we can live without regret because we go, isn't God great to save someone like me? And so we live and let go of the regret. Joel chapter 2, verse 25, to a people who experienced difficulties because of their own sin, God says, I will replace the years the locusts ate. He redeems it. So let's finish. When I was uh, just finished college, uh, I scraped into college and I didn't get the grade I wanted. And I remember being upset about that, and I remembered my primary school teacher who had said that she could tell who was going to make it in life and who wasn't, and I was in the not make it in life category as far as I can see. And I'd wanted to prove her wrong, probably hadn't worked hard enough to do so. And I was upset. And I was talking to my pastor sometime after that, and I wasn't really talking about that, but he said this to me from 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Who do you want to be? What do you want to be like? What would you change about yourself? What if God says, I'm not going to make you taller, sportier, more vivacious, whatever. I'm going to use you as you are. Be content. I've given you many good gifts. Most of all, I've given you my son. How can you be discontent about trivial things when I've given you my son? When for billions of billions of years, you're going to enjoy God forever, and you're worried about the things you don't have in this world that sense of perspective. Rejoice in the ordinary, because God loves ordinary people. Fight envy with all your heart, particularly as you serve people. And see the fact that even the things that you have messed up in life, today is the day that redemption can begin, where you begin to acknowledge, yes, I messed up, but you know what? I'm trusting the God who's got my future in his hand. And let me finish with the words of a hymn. It's from the hymn, Dear Lord and Father of All Mankind, and I think it's appropriate. It says, Drop thy still Jews of quietness till all our strivings cease. 
Take from our souls the strain and stress and let our order's lives confess the beauty of your peace. Amen. Micaiah, would you pray and then we'll sing our last song. Now, don't forget about the prayer room afterwards, that you can go to the prayer room afterwards. Uh, myself and Marie will be there in about five minutes. Uh, have a quick chat with her if you want to uh, grab her for weekend away stuff. Um, uh, but then she'll be in praying, and then you can target Emerson. Want as many people going in the weekend away as possible. It's a great opportunity to enjoy each other. And our closing hymn is Come Behold. Come Behold.